Well, church, I'd ask you to join me in James chapter 5 today, and it is hard to believe, but today we will bring our second book of the Bible, our second complete book of the Bible, together to a close. Of course, we began in Philippians and, and preached all the way through Philippians. Now, we've preached all the way through James, and we, we're going to wrap up with verses 13 through 20 together today. One of the sweet things about walking through Scripture together in this way is that it, it forms the conversations and the shared knowledge of the church. You know, families have inside jokes. Families have kind of a, a wealth of knowledge that they all understand because they, they live with one another and they, and they go through the same experiences with one another. Walking through Scripture together, like walking through entire books of the Bible together as a church family, puts us all on the same page and we, we learn to speak the same language and we, we learn to kind of view our, our lives and our church and our families through the same lens. That's why walking through the Bible in this expository way, just exposing what is there a verse at a time or a section at a time, I believe is the most faithful way to, to get ourselves exposure to the whole counsel of God's Word. And that is exactly what we need. The Lord will use His Word at just the right time in ways that I can't explain, in ways that I could never plan, in ways that I could never predict, it seems like just at the right time for your family or your marriage or even what we're walking through as a church, we come across a passage in the Bible that the Lord has ordained for us to see in a way that we could never orchestrate. That's what I love about doing this together as a faith family. As we kind of look back over the book, we've seen and we've learned a lot of different things. Of course, James is a very practical book that has a tendency to really kick us in the teeth because it just cuts straight to the point and it cuts straight to the quick. We learned early on about the blessing of trials, that even when we walk through bad times, even when we shed tears, no tear will ever be wasted. No trial will ever be wasted. It will all be used of God somehow for our good and for God's glory. Every hard time that we walk through, we also learn that the, the root cause of sin, the root cause of our brokenness is not something outside of us. It's not because of another person or another situation. It's because of something that's inside of us. We learn this in, in chapter 1. We're, we're reminded that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We are tempted to think that our anger can really do something good, but really, the Scriptures say the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God because we all have this little sense of justice inside of us, right, that is put there by God, but in our sin, we twist it. We become angry about things that God is not angry about, and we become not angry about things that God is angry about. We learned about the sin of partiality, how we should not treat people according to what they can do for us, or what they can do against us, right? We, we should treat everyone as image bearers of God and not according to how they can serve us or how they can harm us. We, we are supposed to do what God says to do and to treat one another fairly. We remember that faith without works is dead. What is the content of saving faith? Is saving faith just some kind of repeating a little prayer and somehow by a magic incantation we are somehow in Christ? Or, or is there something about the nature of faith that makes it worthwhile, that makes it work. 
Genuine deep faith comes with a change of desires and a change of behaviors, James teaches us. We learned about the danger of the tongue. James speaks of the tongue as a fire and how, how great a forest is set ablaze by loose tongues. We remember these things. We remember quarrels, fights, conflict, strife. Where does it come from? We learn that there's really no such thing as an interpersonal problem. There are spiritual problems that spill over interpersonally, right? There's, there's no such thing as just a, a, an interpersonal problem. We have brokenness inside of us that when the world squeezes us, it spills over. And in our sin, we have passions that are at war within us, James tells us. We're war, we, we are warned against worldliness. We should not look like the world. And we remember that worldliness is anything that makes sin look normal, but makes holiness look weird. That's what worldliness is. And then lastly, just a couple of weeks ago, we learned that it is pleasing to the Lord when we give Him the keys, when He is in charge of our lives, when He is the master of our fate, He is the captain of our soul, and we do not live our lives as if our lives are ours to do with what we please. We learned that. And now we come to the end of James chapter 5, and we learn one more lesson. Of course, we can never do it all justice in one sermon. But, you know, this week I actually asked for some testimonies. I, I, I sent out an email, and I got five or six or seven back, perhaps, just asking if James has been edifying to you, if it has blessed you in, in some way, would you just tell me? I would love to hear that. So I'm going to try to summarize some of what you have said, that, that James has been good and useful in your life and, of course, in my life. One person commented that James has encouraged them to be a more like Jesus Christian. That sounds like a good thing, right? If we're a more like Jesus Christian. Others were reminded of how easily we can drift if we're not lashed to the Word of God. If we're not always returning to the Word of God, how easy it is to drift. And of course, during this time of COVID, when, when many have been kind of separated from the church, we understand why that is. But at the same time, there are certain dangers that come with being separated from the people of God and separated from the, the regular intake of the Word of God. Another person was thankful for the expository look, the going through verse at a time. And of course, that's like being the teacher's pet telling me that, right? Of course, I'm going to mention that from the pulpit because this is how I believe we should walk through the Scriptures. And lastly, a couple of folks said that, that James really at different points stepped on their toes. And we know what folks mean by this. This is not the point. The point is not to just have your toes stepped on, but so that we might be encouraged to be more like Jesus, to, to have the Word of God kind of look at us as a mirror and to, and to show us exactly the gap that exists between us and, and where we need to be, but that Jesus always fills that gap and He encourages us and, and gives us everything that we need, as the Scriptures say, for life and godliness. And today we look at, at James chapter 5, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. But as you're, as you're looking there, before we begin, I want to I put a picture in your mind. I want to ask you to imagine a, a, a scenario. Imagine that your car has just broken down, and now it's time to go to that dreaded place, the car dealership, where you get on the lot, and you know that as soon as you pull onto the lot, there's about 17 sets of eyes on you, like, where are they going to park? Where is your car going to come to a rest? And you got guys asking you, is it your turn? Is it my turn? Right? And they're getting ready to come jump you right at your door. You, you open the door and they're right there. They say, hey, how are you doing? Let me give you my card. How can I help you today? But instead, as you're worried, oh, I'm getting ready to hear a bill of goods. Somebody's going to try to push something on me that I don't want. Instead of that, 
A salesman comes up to you and he begins telling you all the reasons why really their vehicles aren't all that great. He tells you, yeah, the one that you're looking at over there, the red one that you really like, it's actually had a couple of recalls already. I've even heard the guys back in the service department say that they wouldn't have one if they were given one. And you're thinking, man, this guy's probably not going to last here very long trying to sell like this. And then he begins to tell you, you know, the other brand right down the road, you can see their sign. That other brand down there, they actually have a better warranty. That's what I would buy if I were you. You're probably going to be disappointed if you buy this car, he says. I don't want you to buy this car and feel like I've lied to you a couple of weeks later. And you just leave the car lot completely confused because you expected to hear some kind of sales pitch and instead you got all this encouragement to go somewhere else. You know, in the passage that we're going to look at today, we see, we see James not selling God short at all. We see James giving like a full-throated picture of who God is and why you should believe in Him. You see James not being like a slick salesman, but he believes in this God and he says you should too. He's worthy of our trust. He demands and deserves a radical abandon. He deserves not only a couple of compartments of your life, but the whole shooting match. Let's read this together in verse 13 and just look at the unqualified way that James talks about his God. James chapter 5 verse 13 begins this way. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders... From the truth. Listen to how James closes this entire book. It, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? God, as we approach your word, we, we are reminded that we never walk away from your word unchanged. We are, whenever we encounter the words of God, we either harden our hearts just a little bit or we soften them and ask God, what, what might you teach me here? What might you do in my heart through your word? So God, I pray that today would be a day of looking to your word and of letting it just, just percolate deeply within our souls so that it might change us and do some spiritual good. Help us to see a God who is God and who is worthy to be trusted and to, and to be prayed to. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we read through that, did you see what I, what I mean? How, how James doesn't really give any ifs, ands, or buts there. How he really gave just kind of this unqualified picture of how we should relate to God. I mean, he says, is anybody suffering? Pray. As if that, that's, that's the solution. He even says, is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. This kind of picture of a big God, friends, is is necessary. And I think it's particularly necessary for some of us in the room. Because if we're honest, many of us, if you're like me, right, I'm a guy who's kind of like, let's be reasonable. Let's be reasonable. Let's kind of bring God down to our explainable little human level. We like to bring God down to to our little stage. We're afraid of placing trust in Him because we don't want to be disappointed. We're like the car salesman who doesn't want that guy to go down the road and before the warranty's even out, the car breaks down and now the guy comes back to the car lot and he's like, "You you lied to me. You told me this was a good vehicle and it didn't even make it to my house. If we're not careful, we can so domesticate God that we treat Him as if He really can't do anything all that amazing after all. Right? Here's what we need to do, I think. Balancing this passage with the the rest of Scripture, right? There are calls in Scripture to to pray according to God's will. Not everything that we ask God for, He's, He's going to do for us. Many times we pray for healing, and the people that we pray for healing for, friends, that just don't get healed. But we need both passages. Sometimes we need to be reminded that even though God can, He might not. But then other times we need to be reminded to to wake ourselves out of this slumber of believing that God is not really all that powerful. We need to be reminded that God can and that our first resort should be to run to Him in the time of need. And that's what this passage is trying to do. It's trying to balance those of us, like me, who are tempted to come to God with this, now let's be reasonable, kind of attitude. Sometimes you need the passages that remind you that God won't answer every prayer that you ask in the way that you would prefer. But other times you need to be reminded, just like James is reminding us here. So, here's the first point. Pray as if God can. Pray as if God can. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You notice what James doesn't say. James doesn't say, hey, if you've got a problem, give God a try because it can't hurt. He doesn't have that kind of attitude. He says, if you have a need, your first resort should be to take it to God and live as if He is the God that He says He is. Live as if He can. Because otherwise, anything else will be selling Him short. Anything else will be coming to Him as if He's a small, little, tame, domesticated God. And that's why I've entitled this sermon today, No Tame God. What I don't mean by that, when you think of a wild animal, you think of something that's unpredictable. I'm not saying that God is unpredictable. I'm not saying that He's somehow irrational. What I'm saying is we should resist the temptation to bring God down to our little understandable level. God can answer crazy prayers. James presents God as the reason why we get relief from any pain. From any sickness. Yes, God uses means. He uses medicine. He uses doctors. He uses co- uh, what we would consider coincidences. But, but it is all from His hand. Listen to what Kai Bowman 
has said. It's been in God's providence. I just heard this quote this week. And Kai Bowman says, When entire congregations decide that prayer is their greatest resource, those churches will not stay the same for long. When entire churches believe that they have a God who is there and who is big and who is powerful and desires to answer prayers, those churches will not stay the same very long because they have begun to relate to God in faith as if He is who He says He is. And if we don't do this, I'm afraid what we'll do is we'll miss opportunities to pray big prayers and to see God move. Earlier in James, it says this in chapter 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Friends, I don't believe that the reason that God answers our prayers is based on the amount of faith in us. Right? There's a whole, I believe, ungodly movement called the prosperity gospel that just says, oh, if you didn't get healed from your cancer, I guess it's because you didn't have enough faith. But if you'll just call this number and buy this green prayer cloth, all of your prayers will come true. And this stuff is sadly being exported all over the world on private jets to places where people are being told, if you just, if you just give me some money and trust in God, your flocks won't die in Africa and things like this. But there's also a reality that we need not miss. And that is that if we don't come to God in our prayers, believing that He is powerful, believing that He is who He says He is, that doesn't honor God either. So we have to, we have to come to Him. We have to look Him full in the face and, and believe in this full-throated message of who God is. There's also this other reality. Living as if God can also means that we live knowing that God may not. Living as if God can also means knowing that God may not. Uh, I, I've told you uh, a few times about our story with, with Judah as we were in the hospital. And a couple of things struck me during that time. Um, and, and some of the things that struck me were that sometimes when people tried to encourage us, they encouraged us as if... God's answer, that the evidence of God's answer would be if, if Judah was restored to a full measure of health. That would be how we would know that God moved. And now that's true. And as a matter of fact, God has answered our prayers in, a, in an incredible way. His health seems to be nearly normal in a way that has really kind of shocked the doctors at Vanderbilt. But what if God had not answered those prayers? Would God be any less God? What if our child had died? Would God be any less good? Of course not. He is still good even when He doesn't. So we have to hold these truths together. We have to hold the gospel with two hands. Yes, God can. And even if He doesn't, He is still good and He is still worthy of our worship. That is a picture of the God of the Bible. He has the keys. Suffering may come, but He has promised that He will be present in the middle of it and He will not waste a bit of your suffering even when He doesn't answer the prayer the way that we would prefer. So, live as if God can. Pray as if God can. Secondly, live as if God has provided. Live as if God has provided the resources. We remember from the Bible that, that God's power, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, we learn from Peter. Part of living as if God can involves remembering that God has provided for us the resources that we need to live here and now. Look at verse 15. There's some kind of connection, it seems, between between, uh, sin and sickness. Listen to this. This is extraordinary. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, con- listen to the, to the medical language, right? The, the physical language in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It doesn't say so that you may be forgiven. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. Isn't that an interesting little turn of phrase? Now, I don't believe that this passage is saying that if you are sick, it's because you've got some sin in your life that you need to confess. But I am saying that the Bible seems to suggest that there is a connection between the spiritual and the physical. And we don't need to turn away from that. I think that's true. I think that's a a biblical uh, lesson. Listen to how Psalm 32, if I can just kind of recall the words that, that Bob read earlier. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to this. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What the psalmist is saying there is that there's a connection between the spiritual and the physical. And we need to make sure that we are living before God in a way that's reconciled. Listen to how 1 Corinthians chapter 11 speaks of it. Whoever therefore is talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Because you have come to the Lord's table and you have drank the cup and you have eaten the bread. You have said with your life, I am reconciled to God, but you have not been reconciled to your fellow man. He says, so don't come to the table until you make peace with one another. And he says, for this reason, many of you are weak and ill. And some of you have died. Friends, this is incredible language, and I don't know exactly how to explain it all. But all I know that I can confidently say is this. God is the master of our lives. And there is a connection between the spiritual and the physical. That this scripture doesn't call for us to live in some kind of unreasonable way. Not going and and taking care of our bodies. Not... You know, uh, saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to go get treatment for my cancer. I'm just going to pray. I, I think the scriptures are saying instead, live before God as if he is actually in control of everything. Live before him as if he um, is the master of all of our healing. Secondly, God has provided what we need in the local church. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to whom? To one another. Isn't that interesting? I thought I was just supposed to confess my sins to God. But here, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Counseling some folks right now and, and, and um, 
this person is just kind of trapped in, a, in, a, in an ongoing pattern of sin that's very difficult to break out of. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about is the need for accountability. To have other brothers, or if you're a lady, other sisters in the faith, that you can sharpen one another. That you can, yes, even pray for one another and, yes, confess sins to one another. Why? Because Satan desires you to keep your sin in the dark. Because in the dark, just like growing mushrooms, that's where it seems to have its power. If you bring your sin out into the light, there's something about doing that that just deactivates a great portion of Satan's power over you. He says, confess your sins to one another and so be healed. Friends, where do we do one another ministry? We do one another ministry in the local church. God has given us one another in local bodies of believers for our good. Church isn't just some kind of aftermarket upgrade onto a life that you can really do on your own, right? You can go down to the Bible bookstore and grab a devotional and you feel like you're just flourishing spiritually. But the the scriptures seem to teach us that there is no growth in spirituality apart from the local church. And so I would say... Believe in that. Believe that that the local church is the lifeblood. The people of God are the lifeblood of any vibrant walk with God. The church is not peripheral. It's central. Central to our, our growth. James speaks here that part of your becoming more like Christ and more free from sin involves the grace of one another. So friends, I'll plead with you. If you need help, reach out for help. If you need a brother, reach out to a brother. If you need a sister in Christ, reach out to a sister in Christ. Or if you need help determining who those people might be, come come to me. I'd love to, to connect you there so that you can continue to flourish in your walk with God. The last point is this. Live toward others as if eternity is near. You know the last words that people speak are often very important? We're often very interested in the first words. Of, of a person, like our, our son Judah. He, he says words like dada, right? I think that was his first, right, Whitney? I just want to get that on record. He says things like go. He loves the book Go Dog Go, right? And that's one of his first words. He'll hand me the book and he'll say go, right? And he'll say bye-bye. He says these, these words. We're always hanging on the first words of a child. And then, and then maybe if you watch a movie or if you hold the hand of a loved one before they pass away, you're always interested in the last words that someone says. It's very powerful. Listen to how James summarizes all of his book. Verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders, back, uh, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I think there are two groups of people that this is addressing. There are those of us who are in Christ and because I am the worst sinner that I know, I frequently need others to point out error in me so that I might be brought back to the truth. Right? That's something that we all need. And I am not immune to that somehow because I stand here and wear this and do this. There's also another group of people, perhaps those who who have grown up around the church and around Jesus and they're very familiar with the things of God. They're very familiar with the facts of the gospel, but those those facts have not made that travel, that that journey from the head to the heart. And, And by faith, these folks have not laid hold of the gospel message and they haven't come in Christ. 
This Bible, this, this word in James is a, is a call to, to be drawn back, to come back. Whether, whether you are a believer and, and you've been wayward or perhaps you haven't looked at the church as all that important or you, you, you're tempted to think small thoughts of God. He's really not a God who can. He's a God who eh, probably won't if we're honest. And then there's other folks who perhaps are recognizing I've had a close association with Jesus, but I've never had a transformation wrought by the hands of Jesus. Friends, if this is you, that I would beg of you, I would plead to you, respond today to the gospel message that there is, there is wrath coming from God that, that will be poured out on sin. And the only question is, will that wrath be poured out on you or will it be poured out on Jesus? He desires to drink the cup to the dregs the cup of God's judgment, the cup of God's wrath. He loved you so much and He loved me so much that He decided to step in our place to take the wrath that we deserve from a holy God so that we might be made right with Him. And friends, I think, I can't think of a better way to end the book of James. How wonderful would it be to say that at the end of James, you heard the Word of God, it pierced your heart, God opened the eyes of your heart and you responded to Him in faith. You decided no longer can I have just some loose affiliation with the facts of Jesus, but I want to know Him, and I want Him to have the master, to be the master of my fate and to have the keys of my life. If that is you, I would love to talk to you today about what next steps might look like. Would you pray with me? And we'll close. Lord, Your Word always has an apt word for us. I pray that all of the that instances where my own weakness has clouded your word, I pray that you would cover over those. I pray that for all of the instances where, where I have said something as best I could, but Lord, my words alone have no power. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would combine the words of your Bible with faith in our hearts so that we might believe, so that the eyes of our hearts might be open to see wonderful things in your word. And I pray, God, that if there is one today who, who knows, if they're being honest in the, in the deep recesses of their heart, that, that they've been far from you, they've never actually known you, that today would be the day that they turn from their ways and turn toward you. Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would edify this church. Would you build us up? Would you help us to take the lessons of James, apply them to our individual lives, but also to apply them to our corporate life as a church so that we as a church might be one that hears and knows and acts upon the word of God, the big God, the God who can. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.